you have your uh, Bibles, I'd ask you to find Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> I tell the story all the time, and um, you would have to probably be a, a first, maybe two-time, second-time visitor uh, to have never heard this story out of my mouth. Um, but um, the, the very night I came to the Lord um, in 1997, I, um, I literally ran outside, uh, and I was out there, and I'm like, what am I doing, you know? And I was so excited, I wanted to tell somebody, and uh, I was just l literally jumping and dancing around in my driveway. And I went back in the house, and it felt like this, like, I mean, it's really not where it's like, you know, like, what am I going to do now? Well, I started asking God that question, well, what, what do I do now? Okay, you know, I mean, what do I do? I, I, I've submitted my life to the living God through Jesus, and I knew I was in a relationship with him. I knew that the shame of my guilt and sin was lifted off of me. I was so excited, I felt like I could burst, but I needed some marching orders. And so what became very sensible to me in the moment was grab the Bible. You know, he's made the claim that he's told you a lot of stuff in there. And so I started, started asking this question, like, where do I start? Oh, duh, at the beginning, I was like, wait, this is a weird book. It has two beginnings. And so after a little bit of asking Jesus what to do, I started at Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 1. Now, to put this in the context of how weird I was behaving, Matthew chapter 6 only has 34 verses. I started at Matthew 1, 1, read to Matthew 6, 33, Slam my Bible shut. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And I, I said, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And I literally closed my Bible and went to sleep. And um, got up the next morning. The first thought that hit my mind was, I'm, I'm, God's my daddy. That was the first thought that hit my mind. God's my daddy. And what am I going to do today? I'm going to seek where my, my God, my dad's kingdom is. I'm going to seek where he is righteous. What is, and so I, I was driving to work that morning. I was going to my, my job, and I was driving on. Oh, you know, where is the kingdom over there? Oh, was, is this song playing his righteousness? I, that was all I had in that moment was I had gotten a word from God, and I was clinging to it. And I, and I did that for a few days, and it didn't take me long, a couple, three days. I was through the entire New Testament, and it found all kinds of marching orders, but this seek ye first the kingdom of God, because I understood it wasn't just seek it uh, first in all things. It was seek it pre uh, preeminently. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek to be a servant in the kingdom. And it just started to capture my attention because I wanted to know what to do with this absolutely new start on life. I was given. Well, this is one of these passages that if, if I would have got it that night, it would have been like, it would have been so heavy. What's cool is God gave me a great generalization. Um, and then he leaned me into the specifics. And what I started to learn was, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm seeking first God's kingdom. I'm seeking first God's righteousness. And I'm trusting God with all the details. That's what Matthew 6.33 is about. I'm trusting God with food and water. I'm trusting God with how I dress. Obviously, I'm trusting God with how I dress. Um, 
I'm trusting God for my provision. What I need to do is be about God's business because God is telling me he's about my business. And when I started running up on passages that were very difficult for me, I would just go back and think, let me be about God's business because God's clear he's about my business. He's taking care of me. Let me just walk with him. Well, this is an awesome passage, and it's one of those ones that is literally like pulling up on my pickup truck with the entire bed loaded down with wet dish rags and me standing here literally wringing every one of them dry as my sermon. Like, just grab a rag. Just, you guys watch me get every drop out. When, okay, this one's dry. Grab another one. You know, it's a month of Sunday's worth of dish rag ringing in this passage. So I'm not going to do that. What I want to do is give you four big thoughts tonight, and I want to challenge you guys to treat every clause, every word in this passage this week like your own truckload of wet dish rags. And you go sit with the Lord and let the Lord give you every precious jewel buried in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17, because it is jam-packed. What he has given you here is a lot of stuff to walk away from, and in the process also a lot of stuff to walk toward. And what he's saying is, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and let me take care of the details. Let me take care of the details. The big idea tonight is this. Jesus makes us new so we can actually be new right now. Not just in heaven. Jesus makes us new so we can actually be new. Matter of fact, let's all read that together. It's so simple. Jesus makes us new so we can actually be new. Before I move on, I'm going to tell y'all a story why I chose this as the main point. Everybody in the back see what that is? Well, maybe if I open it, it'll give you. Now, I know to some people, like, ooh, he's got a knife, but I grew up on a farm. This is just a tool you carry around. That's it. Well, what's cool about this one is it's uh, got a tobacco leaf on it. Some of you young people know Kenley Whitlow, right? Kenley's granddad gave this to me as a gift. When he gave it to me, it was in one of these collector's boxes. And I, I thought I knew him well enough to know that, I mean, I'm not going to collect no knife, y'all. And I didn't want to offend him, and I'm just like, greatly, if you give me this knife, I'm sure it costs something. I'm not leaving it in that box. I'm going to use it. And he says, well, if you're dumb enough not to take it out of the box and use it, you don't, you're too dumb to own that knife. And so um, what you can't see, Clay, y'all in front row, I can see it, is I recently broke one of the blades. I was plucking a staple out of something. I was walking along, there was a staple in a wooden handrail. I said, let me get that out. Click, broke it. I was disheartened because this is a gift from a friend. You know, it's a cool knife too. But I immediately thought, you know, if Grayley was here, he'd have been proud of me because I was working with the knife. I, was, I mean, I was doing something, right? Now, now, why do I bring this out? Knife's broken now, right? I should just throw it away and get another one. No, it's a precious gift from a friend that he paid for and gave to me because he loved me, and he's still got a lot of use in it. What the devil wants to convince you guys of is that God sees you in your brokenness, sees you in your limitations, and you're just at the point where you should just be cast out. But you're purchased at the price of his precious son. He sees your limitations. He sees your brokenness. And he's like, I still want you in my pocket. You know what would happen today? The stapler. Everybody got your bulletins, you know? You got a little staple in them. It got jammed up. And I promise you, I thought I was going to break the other blade. 
I did. I, I even told Kara, I said, I'm going to break this other blade, get in this thing. And uh, I said, I need this for my illustration. Let me find something else to work with. But I just think, I'm this, I'm this pocket knife. I'm this pocket knife. I'm a broken, limited tool that my father wants. He doesn't even need me. He wants me. And he sees a usefulness in me. You know? And it's, and it's, it's not because he needs it. It's because he wants it. I can go get me another pocket knife. Honestly, I've risen up in the world. I could buy two or three. We had just that level of hillbilly success. But when you hear this passage tonight, somebody, if not everybody, is going to hear some things that are really going to make you feel broken. What's God want to do? God actually makes you new so you can be new. You know? Now, I don't know if we'll have pocket knives in heaven, but if we do, mine will be perfected and have two blades again. That's the way this thing works. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse number 1. Follow along on the screen. Very powerful passage. I'm going to pull a Casey and read it really slow. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. This is another list. We've already had one list. Here's another one. Put all these things away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, uh, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, put it on Facebook <laughs> and cowardly don't tag them. No, that's not what this says. Um, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as what? Read it, church. So what's the basis of why you should forgive? 
Lord's forgiven you. Didn't you like your forgiveness? Yes. Okay. All right. So you also, if you get around to it, can forgive if you have time. Oh, must. My bad. Verse 14. Okay, so there's something more important than everything we've already put on. Wow. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love makes all these other notes turn into a song. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful that the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, Say it with me. And whatever you do, in word or do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, thank you for this passage. Open it to us as only you can. In Jesus I pray, amen. After spending two chapters teaching on the supremacy of Christ and refuting false teaching, Paul and Timothy, who was working with him here, turn their attention to the lives of the Colossian Christians. In this long list of commands and prohibitions, we see that the gospel fundamentally changes how we relate to everything. Now, it used to not be that these numbers, chapters and verse numbers were here. So if you were to look at the end of chapter 2, this is sort of how this would sound. It would sound like this. He says, uh, uh, go back to verse 20. If with Christ you have died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. You know what he's saying in all this? He's saying what Paul has given us here is not some list of boundary rules He's not giving us this list of things that are joy killers. What he's teaching us is that what God really wants is not for you to learn how to go by a few more rules. He actually wants you to so die that Jesus comes to life in your shoes. So he's not just asking you to straighten up, go by these rules a little more. He wants actually more. Wow. I was having a discussion with a legalist the other day, and I actually told him, I said, how dare you stop right there? He was telling me my, you know, the translation of the Bible issue. I said, how dare you stop right there? He says, well, I know what you're going to say. I don't speak Hebrew and Greek. I says, no, you don't speak the mind of God. If this is going to be about one issue and the issue is the appropriate language of God's communication, and the only appropriate language is God's language, and you don't speak it. I said, so your legalism is actually fairly shallow. It was philosophically too much for him. His brain shut down. If he would have been energized with money, the symbols went. No, what God wants is for us to learn to walk with him. I don't want to overthink. I want you to learn to walk with me. And I don't want to just say, hey, never touch pig meat. That's too simple. 
I want you to approach the pig as a gift, as something I made. I want you to even think about its blood and how spilling it is something I value. I want you to learn to appreciate the pig before you say thank you for the bacon. That's different, isn't it? It's a different concept. So he rolls out of chapter 2 and says, man, y'all letting them Gnostics and those Judaizers mess with y'all's head. What God really wants is for you to learn how to get rid of you and take up him. He wants you to learn to walk with him. And I find this incredibly freeing and incredibly beautiful. Four big thoughts. Number one, there's a big condition to consider. If. If. I don't know if any of you guys have heard this saying. It could be one of those Tim sayings that nobody else understands. But if you know it, finish it with me. If a bullfrog had... I cannot tell you how many times I've heard that and said that in my life. If a bullfrog had wings, he wouldn't bump his behind every time he jumped. My grandmother had a saying that confounded me for years. Confounded me, and I finally got it one day. I would say if or but, especially I'd say but. Grandma would be telling me to do something, I'd go but, but, but. I always had a reason why I didn't want to take off my shoes when I came in her house. But I'm going right out. That was always what I'd say. I'm going right back out. This, and she'd come with this saying. She'd say, ifs and buts, if ifs and buts were nuts, bolts and nuts, the world wouldn't be falling apart. And then, you know, you heard it so many times, she would just go, ifs and buts, or bolts and nuts. And I think I was somewhere around yesterday years old, and she's been dead a long time now, I went, oh, she's saying the world is full of so many ifs and so many buts that if they were actually something useful, you could put them together and they would hold the world together. Oh, it's really deeper than you think. Paul is saying here, if, if then you've been raised with Christ, if if you have found new life in Jesus, if you've been resurrected from the dead, if you've been delivered out of darkness into life, if you've met the living God through the Christ, if you've been that way, if you found that, then there's a whole new day in front of you. Set your mind on things above. Set your deeds toward things above. Your doings and your thinkings. Set them on things above. In other words, if your agenda was X, Y, and Z before, your agenda now is things from above. Now, it's very interesting how we choose to say this in English. In, in Greek, it's uyen, which honestly sounds like a Chinese person's name to me. But that's what it is, uyen. In the New International Version, they say since then. In the New Living Translation, they say since you have been. In the ESV, which we read earlier, it says, if then. In the King James, it says, if ye then. In the New American Standard, it's therefore. So is it a condition or is it a requirement? The answer is yes. What he's saying is if you know you're in Jesus, therefore, because you're in Jesus, this should change your life. If you're in Jesus, you ought to have a new life. Paul's saying, if you're saying Christ is your hope, since you're saying Christ is your hope, Christ is our only hope, therefore, 
Set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above. Now, I'm probably going to make somebody mad right now. So go ahead and get your get over it setting prepared. I'm one of those guys that I ride for the brand. I don't know. I read a lot of cowboy books growing up. Old cowboy who rides for the brand, like, you know, if somebody steals one cow, he's going to chase that guy down. He's going to chase that rustler down. Somebody else might say, it's just one cow. We're herding 500 here. What's the big deal? The cowboy says, no, I was hired to take care of every single cow. I was hired to work for the cattleman, the ranch owner, and I'm going to take my job serious. And somebody else would say, that's dumb. I'm just going to let that I'm not going to risk going out there and getting shot over no one stinking cow. They can have that cow. I'm not going to go out here and get scalped by a band of wild natives over one cow. Well, I'm that cowboy. I'm the guy that rides out in the middle of the night and you never see me again. Yeah, we can laugh when you say it like that, but start thinking about your place of employment. Do you ride for the brand? Do you say, I'm going to go in and I'm going to give my employer everything I've gotten? Don't raise your hand. In America, we're only taught to watch out for number one. They're there to serve you, not you're there to work for them. I even saw a meme this week. I wasn't even looking for it. It says, remember, that's how you get your money. That's not your life. I get what they're saying. You ought to take care of yourself. I get it. But on the flip side, on the flip side, when you came to work for them, you came to work for them. You came to work for them, right? I ride for the brand. I've always been that way. I've always, always been that way. I'm that way with sports. I always seem to pull for the worst teams, and it's so hard to pull for bad teams because everybody rubs it in your face, and you're going, I know they're still my team. I want to tell you the, the best time to be one of these kind of people is in your relationship with Jesus. There's this, there's this truth here that when Jesus saves you, he wants you to be committed to the relationship. How committed was Jesus? He was so committed that he let go of heaven and came into the flesh. He died on a cruel cross as a pure sacrifice for sin. He was buried in a grave. He defeated death and rose from that grave he ascended to the Father, and the Scripture tells us he sat down for two reasons. One, his work was done, and two, the Father approved. And the Scripture says this, the Scripture says this, for the joy set before him. What was the joy? The joy was pleasing the Father. Jesus rode for the brand. So if the standard is that sort of sacrifice for the pleasure of the Father, and for the joy of those who would be rescued from sin, death, wrath, and hell, if Jesus would do that, do you think he would want you to slide into the edge of your salvation and live around the, the outer circle of it? No way, man. So what is Colossians really about? It's about God saying, I've got a whole entire new plan for you, a whole entire new plan. I want you to set your mind on things above. I want you to set your activity on things above. And he actually is telling us in verse number three that 
if you've really died and your life is hidden with, with God in Christ, then you're already seated. You're already resting in heaven. You're eternally situated and settled. I love Romans chapter 6, verse 5. I, I really want to talk about the whole passage. I'm not. Romans 6, 5 says this, For if we have been united with him in a death like he is, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like he is. If you know you've died with Christ, the scripture is telling you, be confident you're going to be raised with Christ. That's riding for the brand. That's being serious about your walk. That's to understand that theology works two ways. Theology is both ways. You're going down with Jesus, but you're raising up with Jesus. Think about it. That's what his promise is. So there's that condition. Let me do something you don't see very much. Let me make an invitation in the middle of this sermon. There are people out here. There are people out here in the crowd in this size who you don't know God. You can answer that if. You know you don't know him. And you know, you might know the reason why, you might not. But if you're anything like me, you just know that you don't want God to be the boss of your life. So you don't mind, you don't mind lingering around religion, but you don't really want God to get into your relationship, your finances, your free time, your thought processes, the way you get revenge, the quality of your work ethic. You don't want God to really get into the details. So you know you've held yourself back. This is where it gets really in your face. He says, like, it, that's where it's the, it's the if to you. And then there's people in the crowd that you know there was this time where you were really, really walking with Jesus, and you know somehow it's gotten off the rails. For some of you, you're apathetic. Your walk is just flat-out apathetic. You don't even really remember what happened. It's a, it's a sense to you then. In other words, God's speaking to you tonight through Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. He said, since you're in Jesus and you know it, take off that old life and put this new one back on. And then for some of y'all, you're NASB people. You know you're walking with God and your walk is current. You're not saying it's perfect, but you know it's alive. All right, therefore, <laughs> therefore, keep taking off them old clothes, keep putting on this new outfit. Some of you need to answer the condition as an if. Some of you need to respond to it as a sense. And some of you are, need to keep on responding as a therefore. That's the cool thing about sitting here tonight. God came to meet every single one of us. Every single one of us. Every single one of us. Now, as long as it took me to say those few things, it's going to take me less time to say the next three things. But before we move forward, we've got to we got to deal with a word. The word is reckon. Reckon. I've even thrown the Merriam-Webster definition up here because this is one of those southern words that if, uh, if we don't define it, we'll just be thinking about it in southern terms. You see it here. To reckon is to count. Say You, you could even say to a waitress tonight, if you go out to eat, would you go reckon my bill? If you go to La Casina or, or uh, Toreros, how do you reckon in Spanish, Mary Lou? What is the word for reckon? Reckon-o. Is that it? Re huh? I don't know. But, huh? That's what it is. Well, it's reckon-o. But it's what? Contar? What? 
It sat right there. In, in quick, that's exactly where I was going. In, in legal financial terms, it's reconcile. It's to see where something is. It's just to take account of something, to reckon it. That's not the definition we're going for. We're not going for count or estim, estimate or compute. They work, but that's not the one we really want to use. We want to use that 1C to determine by reference to a fixed basis the existence of. Now, if you're going to reckon my bill tonight, here's how you reckon my bill, because I'm going somewhere. What they're going to do is they're going to see, they're going to look on there and they're going to see Macho Burrito, $7.95. Sweet Tea, $2.95. Uh, the White Cheese, I think about three fifty, dollars right? And then they're going to look at Kara's order and see what she got. And they're gonna add up, and that they're gonna say, we reckon. So on the basis of what you ordered and what the basis of the established prices are, we reckon you owe this much. The state reckons we should take X amount more. They call it taxes. So now total, the total reckoning is this. It's really the same definition if you think about it. They're determined by a reference. When you start reckoning in, in, in the Lord, your reference is always. Jesus. Did y'all know that? When you reckon, when you reckon at Toreros, they're reckoning by the menu. And if they mischarge you, you know what you can say? I reckon you got that wrong. <laughs> and now around here, we use it like suppose a lot. We do. We say, I reckon I'll go to the store. You say, you think it's going to rain tomorrow? I reckon. Then somebody starts to sort of question you why, you say, well, the man on the news. You're using a fixed reference at that point. That's really important for the next three things I have to say. You ready? Number two, number two, a believer must reckon their old selves dead. You have to have a fixed reference that your former existence is dead. What are you checking it by? You're checking it by Jesus. They say, oh, you're with Jesus? Then you were with Jesus when he went down to the grave. Reckon yourself there in the grave with him. Your sin is there in the grave with him. Somebody say hallelujah. All your failures are in the grave with Jesus. Somebody say amen. All the things that you hate about you are in the grave with Jesus. Somebody say amen. Every accurate accusation from Satan went down to the grave with Jesus. Now we like that side, don't we? But wait a minute. I do still love to look at pornography. Jesus says, uh, that belongs to the other guy. I do still, I mean, you know, Lord, one day I'm going to get married and settle down, but right now I've got to sow my wild oats. Oh, no. No, no, no. That's dead guy stuff. That's dead girl stuff. Reckon that stuff dead. We love to reckon the penalty side of it dead. 
God is saying also reckon the pleasure side of it dead too. Reckon? Thirdly, a believer must reckon themselves alive in Christ. If Christ has destroyed the power of sin, if Christ has destroyed the penalty of sin, what has he done then? He has raised the sinner to a new presence. You got a new life. Now, there's a few people in this room. I can name you. I won't call anyone out, but I could, some of you. Some of you were, I mean, you totally needed a new life, and you know it, and everybody around you knows it. Praise God. Me, some of you guys don't know me, some of you guys do, you'll find it. I mean, I was a brawler, I was a promiscuous man, I loved violence. I got a criminal record, boom, boom, boom. I got a criminal record, y'all, that just don't quit. Everywhere I turned, I was disgusted with me. The people who knew me was disgu were disgusted with me. Uh, I was one of those guys that you wanted to hire, but you didn't want to work with me. You know, I was a great worker. I mean, I was. I was just a terrible attitude. Everybody would have said, yeah, you need a new you. I would have agreed, yes, I do. But some of you guys have never become convinced that you need a new you. Some of you guys treat your whole entire walk like a toothache. I just want somebody to deal with that one thing. I feel miserable about this. If I could just get some insurance and assurance that you'll forgive me and let me into heaven over this issue. I got some stuff that plagues my life. Do y'all, anybody besides me, you just, you can't stop thinking about it. You know one thing I cannot stop thinking about? I killed, I killed a hummingbird one time for no reason. And I'll just think about it randomly. I've probably killed another, I don't remember, but I've probably hit one on the road or something sometime. But I shot this one with a 12-gauge. Isn't that a silly thing to regret your whole entire life? I shot a butterfly with a BB gun one time because I didn't think it would be accurate that far, but didn't I? Because I aimed at him and it went that far. And, and I went and got him and I put him inside of a book for about three weeks. I just felt, I, I was like nine. I felt terrible, y'all. And, you know, so, and these things, all right, so if I tell y'all that killing a butterfly bothered me my whole life, don't you think I have some other things that, that deeply bothered me. I mean, let's be for real. I bet you if we went around the room, any of us would tell some silly thing that has bothered us for decades. A believer must reckon themselves alive with Christ. Christ wants to deal with the whole man, the whole woman. He wants to take us out of the old life. He wants us to see ourselves dead. The parts that we want to die, he wants us to see them dead. The parts that need to die, he wants us to see it as dead. And he also wants us to see ourselves alive in him, resurrected as a new person, united with him. Death has no ultimate power over us. Ultimate. In other words, it's not the last word. Me and you know about that, right? Not having the last word. Let me tell you what I do to care. When we're having some kind of discussion, I just let her walk away and I say something anyway. I'm going to get the last word whether she hears it or not. 
Death just doesn't have the last word. You're already sealed in the Lord. The power which raised Jesus from the dead, because you died with Christ, guess what? You're also resurrected with Christ. Most beautiful image of baptism right there. You got to reckon yourselves alive. Where do you get this from? What is your unmoving reference? What is it? It's Jesus. So when I'm exhorting you to put aside sinful habits, I want you to see that I'm not just saying you go straighten stuff out. I'm saying that you look at it and with, with, with desperate repentance, you say, Jesus, I know that the penalty of this is in the grave, but I want the power of it in the grave. Would you help me? And if you got to pray that prayer a thousand times, then pray it 10,000. And then I want you to say, Jesus, I am not burdened for lost souls. I am not generous. I am not a servant. But I see those qualities in your life, and I want them. Would you give me power to be new in you? And then lastly, oh my gosh, I don't apologize, but then again I do. Lastly, guys, a believer must reckon themselves as part of an ever-renewing community. Did you guys see where this went? He's talking to the individual and to the community all at once. He says, you need to, you need to reckon yourself dead. You need to reckon yourself alive. And he gives some list of both. Reckon yourself dead. And as you're doing that, put away all that sexual mess. Put away all those sins of the tongue. Reckon yourselves alive. And what do you do then? So it's like saying, take off all that stuff and put on all this stuff. You say, wait a minute, I look the exact same. No, you don't. It's a whole different set of clothes. How do you know? Because I'm going to go different places in this outfit. I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I'm not going there anymore. I'm not going to the places of anger and malice and sexual sin and, and using my tongue as a weapon all the time. So where are you going then, Mr. New Outfit Guy? Let me tell you where I'm going. I'm going to the meekness party. I'm going to the humility party. I'm going to the compassionate hearts party. You say, well, how in the world are you going to do all that? Well, I've got a special girdle. And I've got my girdle on, and it's holding everything together. It's called love. I love God. God loves me. God loves others, and he's teaching me to love others too. You see that? You change, and you become part of a community that is growing together. You know, I love this idea that singing out loud first comes from treasuring God in your own heart. But it's not just about singing out loud, although we should. It's really about singing to each other. Some Sundays, y'all flat out let me down. Amazing grace doesn't sound very amazing. Because I come in here, and this is my people. This is my place, and I need y'all. I need y'all to already have been treasuring Christ so that when you got here, you could help me treasure him. I'm down. I'm hurting. I'm tired. My wife has had the corona for three years. Actually, it was just a few days. They were just dog days, seven years each. 
And I needed to come in and, well, you know what? I've lost my focus this week. I watch TV too much. I read the news too much, and my mind is stirring with all the things that trouble me. Oh, but now I'm engaged with this community of people who've been treasuring Christ, and they're voicing it. And I'm being reminded of what my treasure should be. I'm being renewed and restored by my family. That's the way this is supposed to work. I'll tell y'all, that's one of my biggest fears about all this pandemic stuff. One of my biggest fears is that you guys won't use your common everyday gifting and we're going to get increasingly isolated and frustrated and cut off and we're not going to, you know, I need Barbara to come in and say crazy stuff and be cheerful. I mean, I, I mean, Barbara, I totally need it. You know? I need Grant to come in and do the little things he's been doing for almost a year now that you guys don't even see, like help me fold the bulletins he didn't today. Not that I'm going to throw shade in the middle of a sermon, but shade. Was that embarrassing, Grant? He's turning purple. I, I, still, I still am just absolutely not sure where the strawberry moon is, but I need Elizabeth to remind me that she loves me all the way to the strawberry moon and back. I need John Lockbaum to go, okay. <laughs> I literally could say something about every one of you. But what I need more than the little funny things that I honestly love about everybody here, I need you guys to treasure Jesus. So that when I'm coming in a little flat, I'll meet my people. And they'll help me throw off the grave clothes and put on the party outfit. I need it, man. I need it so bad. I literally have a truckload of wet dish rags. <laughs> at your mom's house <laughs> you're not there how do you know um, <laughs> in nomine patri filius spiritu sancti no I mean that's a great question it's right here I mean no joke we were having fun but seriously Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 it's like it's so many, much here that you could spend Every day for the next month, just getting all of the treasures here. You should do word studies on all these words. It's so rich. It's so good. The exhortations to tell you what flesh death looks like, man, you need to see them so you can see them working in your life. The, the word descriptions about what humility actually is. and You need to see those so you can see, you can have a noble vision for things. The beautiful picture of you just going around treasuring Jesus and being ready for him to unload that treasuring on somebody else it's just full but what did I come to say answer that condition reckon the old you dead reckon the new you alive and really really reckon yourselves as part of a community of people that will totally 
be a blessing to you and receive blessing through you. That was a silent homage. This isn't about teaching you guys the rules and getting on your britches when you're at the edge of one of them. It's showing you a God who wants to release you from the grave clothes and put you in a party outfit and help you to enjoy every aspect of life with others. Loving him, loving them. Where are you at with him today? Are you an if person? I mean, not here to shame you. God could have orchestrated every moment in your life to get you right here. Are you an if person? The Bible says if you believe on the name of Jesus, that means you believe his work counted for you and you receive him. You say, be the boss of my life. Be the Lord. Be my dad. Be my dad, father. Be my brother, Jesus. Be my engine spirit. Give me power, Holy Spirit. If you believe on that name and receive him, let him inside your life, inside your heart, inside your mind, I'm telling you, he will release you from penalty, but he will also change your life. And that is scary, but that's what he's offering. Or maybe, I can't have him tell you all one story. This is a true story. I saw somebody the other day I hadn't seen in two years. You guys remember two years ago I lost about 80 pounds. Well, I found them all. And this is the way they greeted me. I hadn't seen you since you were a lot skinnier. And before I could say anything, because I don't know if y'all know that, but that's not polite. <laughs> I should have went like, really? What happened? You know. But before I could say anything, since are you off your diet? <laughs> I said, no, I'm on it. It's just not the same one. <laughs> But I want people to see my life. And, you know, if I run into somebody who I have not seen since 1996, I want them to shockingly run into a different person. And I want them to say, like, are you off of your diet of promiscuity and drunkenness? And Oh, yeah, I'm on a whole different diet now. I'm eating something else. Now, I, I kind of also don't want to be fat, but hamburgers still exist. I'm struggling. But I want to, I want, you know, so maybe some of you guys are off your Jesus diet, and he's orchestrated everything to get you back, back to a new, a new regimen. Fair enough? You're a sense people. Since you know that food is good, come back and, keep, and get to eating it. And if you've been eating this and you're just treasuring the Lord, keep it up. Keep it up. I don't need you to get down on your knees at this altar for me. But you might need to get down here for you. If God, I, I didn't even get into the details, but if he spoke to your heart, are you struggling with some of that death stuff? Ask God to help you. If you're seeing a vision for some of that life stuff, ask God to help you. If you're not treasuring community, or you don't feel treasured, ask God to help you work that out. If you're not treasuring our community and there's something we can do, first thing you do is tell us. If you got something against each other and the person's in this room, settle it tonight. Forgive each other first and then settle it. Why? Because God forgave you and settled your account. Reckon? Father, 
young, my long-winded, feeble preaching. Bring the glory of Jesus to the forefront of our vision. As we sing in response, lead us to also respond with commitment. Respond with surrender. Respond with an outcry to you. Father, I want to say that if I'm still with these people in 10 years, that they'll remember that I've stopped eating even more of the world's food and I've started dining at Christ even more. I want to seem shockingly different. So help me lay down my own grave clothes and increasingly clothe me in Christ. In Jesus I pray, amen.